what I really wanted to emphasize this morning in our, our speaker, he's not a guest. He's a family member. He hasn't ever spoke before. It's going to be John Hager. And yeah, so John, John came to us and said he had a message he wanted to share. And this is an effort to try to give glory to God, what I want to say, because I'm not trying to point any of the glory back to us. Um, John's going to share about his life, and some, some things have been hard. I'm going to say that John Hager is the first son of Awakened Church. And I'm going to say that because he was part of, before we merged, True Vine, and he was part of Coast Hills. And he's, he's, he's going to watch what God's done in his life. And what he testifies to this morning. And, and like I said, I am not trying to bring any glory to, to anybody but God in this. Of what happens when we stay loving. Like, and give people room to grow. And so, I'm excited to, I, I know what you're going to say, but I'm, I'm excited to hear him say it this morning. And he's going to share from his heart. And, uh, and then afterwards, we're going to do com- communion together. So, John, if you would come up and share... Yeah. Give me. Can I pray for you? Absolutely. Would that be okay to pray? All right. Lord, God, thank you for what you've stirred in, in John's heart and what he's going to share with us today. And I hope it, uh, that our hearts are, are ready and prepared to receive it from you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This is Awaken Online, a virtual library of the Sunday morning messages at Awaken Church in McMinnville, Oregon. So uh, before I start, I'd like to give you all a little bit of uh, background on this. Uh, I was driving one day, I I do DoorDash for a living, and uh, my son was listening to a cartoon in the background, and just out of the midst of all that noise, I heard four words, and that was walking on one foot. And I couldn't get that out of my head for weeks. Uh, A couple of weeks later, my wife was having a little bit of trouble falling asleep, and so I started talking to her about that. And it just started flowing. I, I talked her to sleep and probably talked for an hour after she fell asleep. <laughs> and uh, the next day, I, I spent somewhere between 12 and 16 hours on the computer. Just I, I couldn't stop typing. Um, and so I, I really, you know, my prayer is that this is from God and, and you can receive it as such. So uh, have you ever tried to walk? truly walk with only one foot. And I'm not saying walk on crutches or a crane or cane or with a prosthetic, but truly missing a leg. Walking normally is impossible. Without help, what happens? You stumble. You may not fall flat on your face every time, but you cannot have a normal stride with only one leg. Yet we as Christians today have a tendency to try to do exactly that. Before we become Christians, we have both legs walking ignorantly in the world lost in our sinful nature. Then we call on God saying, help me God or save me Lord, while still living in sin. We call out to God, but only seek the forgiveness of our sins, yet still continuing in those same sins. Thinking things like it's in God's nature to forgive. My sins aren't that bad. Or if everyone is doing it, how can it be a sin? Brennan Manning said the greatest single cause of atheism today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then go walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This is effectively having our faith walk on one foot. We have one foot in the kingdom, but we leave the other foot in the world, 
in sin. In effect, we are chopping off the one leg of our faith. That leg is the action necessary in faith. So what happens if we add a prosthetic? It may feel alien or strange at first, but you can walk again, right? Perhaps not all at once or right away. It takes action, perseverance, and a little faith. However, through trial and error, pain, and a concise effort, you start to walk again, maybe even run. I'd like you to open your Bible with me to Matthew. Matthew 22, 1 through 14 says, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepares a wedding banquet for his son. He sends his servants to those who are invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refuse to come. Then he sent more servants and said, Tell those that have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated and killed them. Outraged, the king sent out his armies and destroyed the murderers, burned their cities. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those who were invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite anyone you find. So the servants went out and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him out into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Most of this parable, I feel, is about the coming of Christ as our bridegroom and the refusal of God's chosen people to accept the Messiah. However, it is verses 11 through 13 I wish to focus on. When the king came and noticed a man who was not wearing wedding clothes, he told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him into the darkness. I feel like this is a call to action on the part of us believers in Christ. The man without wedding clothes is a man who gave the proper lip service to get in. This man is the Christian who believed that just saying a prayer when he's 13 and going to church will automatically get him into the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 13, 3 through 8, Jesus told them many things in parables, saying a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places without much soil. It sprang up quickly because of the shallow soil. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no roots. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked out the plants. And yet other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop 30, 60, or 100 times what was sown. This parable is actually explained by Jesus, and I will be paraphrasing a bit. The seed on the path is those who are so busy walking in the world that they cannot hear or understand the word. The seed in the rocky ground are those who hear with joy at first, but fall away quickly because they don't have the faith or roots to stay in the word. The seed in the brambles are those who want to know God, but try to fit him into their life without changing. Those who are who I will focus on in just a moment. But what about the seed in good soil? This seed is a representation of those who let God truly take over in their life. And this is what God wants for us. He wants to be that missing leg, that prosthetic. But he doesn't want to be an artificial leg for us. He wants to pick us up, carry us, and become our legs. He wants our faith to be active for him. But how can we be active with only one leg? The answer is we can't. Not without Jesus. 
How can we claim to be in the presence of the Lord Almighty while having only one foot in the door? God wants our all. Accepting grace through repentance without change is a foolish expectation, even from a loving God, but especially from a just God. Accepting the gift of forgiveness is easy, or is it? Let me share with you a few examples of how I have been in the position of each of the seeds of the parable, because I feel these are places we each might have experienced in one way or another, but that can lead us to full lives as fruitful followers of Christ Jesus. I was raised in a semi-spiritual way. My mother was a Southern Baptist by mouth, but not really an active Christian. My sisters and I went to church, not because my mother was there, but to give, us a break for, give her a break from us. Either way, I had a baseline knowledge of the existence of God. In my young years, I was in foster care, and I was in several homes, but had very few homes that attended church. As a child, I welcomed Jesus into my heart, but didn't know and wasn't really given ample opportunity to, ex to explore what that meant. I remember going to the Royal Rangers, which is Christian Boy Scouts, at Beaverton Foursquare Church as a youth. It was and still is one of my favorite times in life. We learned about Jesus, how to fish, how to camp, survival skills, and a lot more. Even then, though, God isn't something that springs to mind when I think about my younger years. This is because even though I was in a church-going household and a church-based program, there was no God outside of church. At that time, I had a very childhood mindset about God and about who God is. As those of you who I have spoken with at any length may already know, I was a drug addict for most of my adult life. What you may not know is how many times God called me to Him, only to have me either ignore Him, falter after only a short while, or become too busy with my own life to actually follow Him. It was like in 1 Peter 2.25, for you were like sheep going astray. I don't know about you, but I am very glad that my God is a good shepherd, always seeking His lost sheep as we go astray. No matter how far we stray, He is always searching for us, calling us back to Him. When I was 18, I moved out of my mother's house. I went to Pasco, Washington to live with someone who was supposed to be my sister's boyfriend. Turns out, he was just an online predator luring my sister to come live with him. After being at his house for a couple of days, I found out he was also a meth dealer. After trying to get my sister to leave with me and failing, I was pressured heavily into trying, trying the drug, and I was instantly hooked. But I was also, I found out soon enough, the prisoner of a meth-addled, psychotic drug dealer and his cronies. After escaping by tearing a hole in the floor in the middle of the night, I found myself homeless, adrift in a sea of confusion and addiction. A while later, I ended up at the Pasco, Washington Union Gospel Mission. While I was there, everyone was required to attend a church service in order to get a bed for the night. I went every day, wishing I could be anywhere but there. Blaming God for my crappy situation, and not truly hearing anything the preachers had to say. This is one of the many examples of a time in my life when I did not want to hear the word. I did not understand the word, and so it was taken from me, leaving me in the same position as the, word, as the seed that fell along the path. You ever felt like that? You ever been that seed so stuck in your own turmoil that God was silenced by the situation? And aren't you glad Jesus is persistent, always knocking at your heart's door, waiting for you to answer his call? Revelation 3.20 says, Here I am. I stand at the door knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them, and they with me. When I was 13, I was attending Sheridan Baptist Church. 
I remember praying that special prayer to accept God into my heart. But I still had a childhood idea of God, having only the most basic knowledge of Him from Sunday school stories. At that time, I was all about Jesus for a short time. But due to my childlike demeanor towards Christ, I didn't keep at it, reading, reading, praying, or being among godly people. Very soon I faltered, falling away from church and away from God. Years later, around the age of 20, I had made my way all the way across the U.S. to Florida. Still on drugs, I found myself destitute, literally sleeping on the side of the road. I'll never forget Pastor Danny of Pensacola, Florida Waterfront Rescue Mission. God used him to literally save my then miserable life. He found me on the roadside, hitchhiking and overdosing, and brought me into the mission to sober up and get some food. A couple of weeks later, I was completely enamored with God. I joined their recovery program. I got sober for almost six months. I even joined their extended recovery slash ministry program, basically being provided with food and shelter in exchange for chores and attending a church and faith-based recovery groups. But once again, I had no real roots, no knowledge, no desire to get to really know him. I went, but wasn't really there. So once again, I faltered quickly, leaving the mission and God with it in my rearview mirror. These are examples in my own life of times I felt like the seed that fell on rocky ground. I had no real roots, no base of faith to stand on, springing quickly to the word, but failing quickly wanting to know God, but too shallow in faith to put it into action, so falling short. Do you ever fall away? Forget to pray? Forget to read God's Word? You're not alone, especially in today's world with all the little distractions, work, kids, social media, news, games, etc. Mark 4.19 says, But all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life the lure of wealth and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. But 1 Corinthians 7.35 says, I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. Just remember that if you are ever feeling as distracted, if you ever you are feeling distracted by the world, God still loves you. Lean on Jesus and He will help. 1 Corinthians 13.11 states, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away the child, put the ways of childhood behind me. Well, I struggled with that last part, at least when it came to my way of looking at Christianity. I had a very elementary school view of God. I always looked at God as just a friend, companion, and comforter. I never really thought about the wrath of God or the righteous fear of the Lord. I never really, and I mean really, read His Word feeling as though I knew enough from the Bible verses I had memorized and children's Bible stories to understand God and secure my seat in heaven. As an adult, the world has always seemed to have more influence in my life than the Word. To be honest, I didn't realize until amazingly recently, like the last few months, that I still had an incredibly limited knowledge of God and His desire to be in my life. In 2014, I started attending True Vine Fellowship, I really, really wanted God in my life. I got sober from the meth. I started attending church every Sunday. I went to events at the church. I even got rebaptized for the third or fourth time in my life. I was on the road to grace, or so I thought. I stayed at True Vine for almost a year. Then, quite suddenly, I had a nasty breakup that left me feeling alone, depressed, and angry. 
Not only did I lose a woman I cared deeply for, I also lost her three children who had come, I had come to love like my own. I stopped going to church. I relapsed on meth. I started leaning on meth, marijuana, and sex to try to fill the gap, not realizing that I was leading God out of my life again. Then in 2016, I met the woman of my dreams, Tanya Hager, who is now my loving wife of nearly seven years and mother to my two amazing boys, John Jr. and Michael. I might add that since I originally wrote this, she has become pregnant with our third child. God willing, a girl this time. And she's a woman who desires God, not just for herself, but for me also. God used her to bring me back to him again. Just a few short months, I got off the meth. We started attending Coast Hills Community Church. I got rebaptized again. We started going to the Bible study every week. Even though we were sleeping in a broken car parked in the 6th Street parking structure, I, and hopefully she as well, felt alive in faith again. But it still didn't feel like enough. I was still trying to walk on one foot. Then came 2020 and COVID. Somewhere amidst the lockdowns, restrictions, and worldwide fear and panic, I fell. I stopped attending church, dragging my family out with me. I started drinking more. I started smoking way too much marijuana. For nearly two years, the only time I prayed was in times of desperation. The only times I thought about God were when I needed or more often wanted something that was out of my reach. By early 2022, due to an accidental discharge of a pistol, which also left me with a hole through my hand and wrist, we had lost our apartment. I had not attended an actual church service in over a year, and I was sucked into my daily struggles. So sucked into finances, marijuana, alcohol, and deadbeat friends that there wasn't any room for God. And these are just a few of very many examples. I felt like the seed amongst the brambles, wanting desperately to be in church, longing for a relationship with the one true God, but being so distracted by the world, I left the word behind, letting desires of the flesh choke out my desire for God, running from salvation only to hide in sin. More recently, honestly more recently than I care to admit, I fell deeply in love with the word of God. I woke up one morning and I went to go about my usual day, except that on this day, for some reason, I felt called, convicted, to put away the stuff that I would normally be listening to, ungodly music, podcasts, and trash social media, and listen to my Bible in One Year audio app instead, and not just a day's worth, but as many as I could. I had an overwhelming, insatiable desire to hear, read, and live God's Word. And I come before you today with that desire, except for all of us. That day, I truly began to understand the meaning of faith and action in faith. God doesn't want us to say a magic prayer and that's it. He wants action. He wants us to constantly desire His holy presence, His Word. He doesn't just want us to read the Bible. He wants us to fiend for it, for Him. He wants to be the first thing we think about when we wake, the thought that invades our minds, our souls, and our very every action's thoughts and desires. When we think of Him, He wants us to tremble under the overwhelming absolution that is our salvation through Christ Jesus. And He's not done there either. That's just the beginning, the introduction. Now comes the hard stuff. God wants us to have His heart. He wants us to be active in our faith through love. 
God wants us to put away our worldly desires. He wants us reaching out faithfully as light sent into the darkness. God wants us to sow a crop for him. He wants us to step up to the plate outside our comfort zone and truly live for him. Galatians 5.6 reads, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. For me, attempting to put my life aside and live for God started not long ago. 2022 was a hard year for my family. After losing our apartment, it seemed like our whole lives started to crumble. Most of the people we thought we could rely on abandoned us. We ended up sleeping in our SUV, parked in the Stewart's driveway. You all may know Randy and Pam Stewart. Thankfully, once they had room, and actually for a while before they really did, they offered us a room in the house, which we happily accepted. Shortly, shortly after that, we found out that Tanya was pregnant with Michael. Under normal circumstances, this would have been wonderful news, and it was, since we had been trying for another child for a couple of months before we lost our apartment. However, with our lives at that point, we couldn't help but see it as another trial. In June of last year, I found out that I was facing legal issues and possible jail time over the negligent discharge that had also lost us our apartment. Around that time, I started drinking heavily again. Heavily. By the time our son Michael was born in October, I was drinking half a liter of high-proof whiskey every night. Smoking 10 to $20 worth of marijuana concentrates a day, had started smoking cigarettes again for the first time in over two years, and had done cocaine at least three times. I told myself that I could quit any time, but that turned out to be easier said than done. Thankfully, the day after Thanksgiving, I was able to put down the alcohol. One week later, I quit smoking cigarettes, and a week after that, I quit smoking marijuana. But God wanted more for me, and he wants more for you. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that my life has been all sunshine and rainbows since then. Even now that I feel like I can lean on God, I still struggle with addiction. Most recently, I find myself struggling with relapses on alcohol and tobacco. But what I am saying is that with God on your side, you don't feel like you're going it alone. He'll show you the areas in your life where he wants you to do better, to be better. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Are you living for God? Can you say you are living his plan for your life? If you were to die this very second and wake up in eternity in the courtroom of the Most High, would you be able to approach the throne of mercy with confidence that you glorified the Lord through your words, your actions, your love? When our Father in heaven looks down into the book where all your thoughts, words, and deeds are recorded, bad and good, what will he see? Do you believe that you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Or will God drop the gavel, bringing his wrath down upon you, saying, depart from me, I never knew you? So you read your Bible every day. That's great, but it's not enough. You're trying to walk on one foot. You go to church every week. I love it, but it's not enough. You're still walking on one foot. You can go to Bible study, listen to podcasts, watch Christian entertainment, and it's awesome, but it's still not enough. God wants more than that. God wants you to pick up your cross and walk with Him, sure-footed on solid ground. 
And when you don't have the strength to walk with him, he wants you to trust that you can lean on him and stay faithful in your suffering, knowing that all your trials are just to make you rely on him more instead of trying to do it all alone. I'd like to reference a poem by Margaret Fishback Powers called Footprints in the Sand. It should be up on the screen. One night I dreamed a dream as I was walking along the beach with my Lord. Across the sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me, the other to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand, and I noticed it that at many times along the path of my life, especially at my very lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me, so I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why, when I needed you the most, you would leave me. He whispered, My precious child, I love you and will never leave you, never, ever during your trials and testings. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. God wants us to trust in him, to lean on him, both in the good times and the bad. He wants us to be steadfast and faithful, reading his word and making a real effort to let him lead us in the ways that strengthen our faith, humility, and love. God doesn't just want us to read the word. He wants us to speak the word, spread the word, and live the word. He wants evangelists, not just followers. He wants us to spread the word to all people. 1 Timothy 2, 3-4 said, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 2, 9, Not wanting that any should perish, but that all may come to repentance. Ezekiel 33, 11, Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but desire that the wicked turn from their wicked ways and live. 1 Timothy 2, 6, Who gave himself as a ransom for all people. And Titus 2.11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Notice that he doesn't say he wants some to be saved. He wants all to be saved. This is what God wants from us, to love all his people, to live a life in reverence to God, which in doing will show others his glory through us, to spread his word throughout the earth, to live in righteous fear of the Lord, to understand and spread the message of the grace he has given us through salvation and the consequence of refusing his gift. He wants us to pray faithfully and with persistence and fervor, not just for our needs and wants, but with humility from a place of thankfulness for all his people. He wants us to pray for our enemies, be generous, not just to your family, those you love or like, or those you think deserve it, but to everyone especially to those less fortunate and those who may not seem to us like they deserve generosity. Be loving and kind, especially to the downtrodden, the sick, the homeless, the prisoner, and the wicked. Our God gives grace freely and wants us to do the same. He wants us to live lives that showcase His grace, mercy, forgiveness, kindness, sincerity, generosity, His love. Colossians three twelve through 14 say, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, 
Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Looking at the ter- parable of the ten bags of gold, told by Jesus in Luke nineteen twelve to 27 and Matthew twenty five fourteen through 30 which is what I'll be reading. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who calls his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of the servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied once again, Well well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I know that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw the worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I believe Jesus is speaking of how God gives us each spiritual gifts. Gifts like interpreting dreams, speaking in tongues, ministering, power in prayer, and many others. He wants us to explore those gifts, use them to bring more people into his kingdom. Accepting God's gift is not enough. We need to live for God. We need to pray diligently that he would expose to us the gift or gifts that he has given us. Not doing this is an affront to the Lord. He gives us these gifts not to hide or hide behind, but to share. In fact, we are expected to share them. The more gifts we are given, the more we need to use them for his glory. Luke 8.16 says, No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in may see the light. And Luke twelve forty seven and 48 say, The servant who knows his master will and does get ready, or does not, do it, does not get ready, or does not do as the master wishes, will be beaten with many blows. But the servant who does not know and does things worth punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. God doesn't want us walking on one foot. He wants us to call on Jesus, let him lift us up, let him be our legs. 
so that we can walk boldly, both in this world, spreading and sharing God's love through our lives, living a life worthy of a child of the Most High God, and in the everlasting kingdom He is preparing for us in the next. And that is action through faith. I'd like to pray. Lord God, I pray that myself and everyone who hears these words, hears them through your ears, that they would be able to approach the throne of glory, walking boldly, not on one foot, but leaning on Jesus, having a thorough understanding of your gifts of mercy, grace, forgiveness, and salvation. I pray that you would convict the hearts of the spiritually stagnant, making them the most active evangelists of us all. I pray that you would give us all a clearer understanding of the gifts you have given each of us as individuals, so we can use those gifts to bring real action into our spiritual lives, spreading the good word of your glory. And I pray for all of the unbelievers in the world that you would open their hearts and minds to receive your great mercy and forgiveness. And if anyone has heard these words and been moved in their spirit, I pray that you would call them to the cross right now, Lord. If you wouldn't mind, keep our eyes closed in prayer for just another minute. I would like to invite anyone who has not accepted Jesus into their life, or even if you have, but feel like you need a restoration to action in your faith, please pray this prayer with me. Lord God, help. I need you right now. You know my sins. You know I need redemption. Please, Lord, come into my life, my heart, and fill me with your peace and your presence. Guide me into your kingdom, Lord, that I may not fear death. Lead me, Lord, into a life of action through faith with love. Give me an ever-increasing desire to see your will in my life before and beyond my own, that I may spend this life bringing glory to your name through my every thought, word, and deed. I need you now, Lord. Amen. Thank you all. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Awakened Church, please visit our website, awakenmac.com. That's A-W-A-K-E-N-M-A-C dot C-O-M.